Well, good morning and welcome to Journey. My name is Randy. It's so great to have you with us today. And it's great to have the church ladies here. I love that title. Uh, isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? You know, I think this is one of those uh, ministries that kind of shock you. You're like, what? Uh, but when you hear uh, all the great things that are going on, what better place uh, for them to be? I think Jesus would probably be there. And uh, in many ways, you guys get a chance to participate that uh, in that, not only as you may cook, uh, deliver, uh, guard, whatever it may be, but also through your gen- just your giving, help makes this possible. So, so thank you guys a lot for being a part of that, and thanks for, for sharing what's going on. I bet there's amazing stories you could tell us if you had time, uh, so thanks for coming here. Well, guys, we're in a series. We've been in for a couple of weeks now, and the, the title of it is called Tell Someone, Tell Someone. And we're just talking about how, how difficult it is sometimes for us to actually share our faith. I mean, when you think about something that, that's so important to us, something that kind of drives us out on a Sunday morning, a cold Sunday morning, to come and worship, uh, this is an important thing to us, most important thing in our life, and yet we have a hard time talking to somebody about it. Uh, so we've been kind of encouraging ourselves, just kind of get up the nerve to have those conversations that, that are so important. And, uh, you know, I want to share a story with you when it comes to sharing. Several years ago when I was a kid, about this time of year, my dad said to us, uh, he said, guys, uh, there's a whole bunch of walnuts that have fallen off the tree. I don't know if some of you got walnut tree in your yard, how annoying that is. But he said, there's a whole bunch of walnuts. You guys ought to go out there and pick those walnuts up and sell them. You know, and we heard the word money, and we're like, we're all about that. So, so the first weekend, first time we picked up, my, my two sisters and I went and picked up walnuts. Picked all these walnuts up. We thought we had a lot, and, and we kind of stored them. And then the next time we we're picking up walnuts. We had some, some uh, company from our neighbors, uh, Jerry and Jill, the twins up the road. They came, and their brother Kenny happened to be there too. So all five of us this time went out and picked up walnuts. We got even more that time. The next time we picked up walnuts, my two cousins, Keith and Diane, used to come every weekend to spend the weekend with us. So they, they came. We picked up walnuts together. The next time we picked up walnuts, it was my sisters and I and our, and our neighbor John Mark that used to come over all the time. So we thought, man, this is great, this is great. And then we sold our walnuts. We didn't get as much as we thought we would. But my dad said, now we have to buy it nine ways. I'm like, nine ways? That doesn't sound fair. He's like, no, everybody had, was a part of that. And by the time we divided it up, nobody got anything much. You know, I learned some things, not only about picking up walnuts, but I learned some things about business. Is that sometimes you can have too many partners in business, right? Too many partners. I learned that some things that you have that you share, when you do that, nobody ends up with very much. But here's the the neat other side of that, is that there are some things that you can share, and the more people you share them with, the more there is of it. And that's a really good thing, right? The more you share, the more there is of it. And that would be the gospel is the greatest example I can think of. Because there's an unlimited supply of the gospel. It doesn't matter how much or how many people you give it away to, the more you give it away, the more there is of it. And that's an amazing miracle that God has given to us, and we get a chance to be a part of that. Also, that is not only a privilege, but it's our responsibility, and in some issues, even our duty as a Christian. You know, Jesus never said that the whole world ought to go to church, but what he did say is that the whole church ought to go to the whole world. And we ought to really keep that, that principle in mind. 
So uh, last week we began this study asking some of the basics and the practical things. I want to review that real quickly for you, just kind of get it back fresh in your mind. We asked the question, who ought to be going and who should go? Every one of us. Nobody gets a pass on this. The Great Commission is to every person, not just to professionals, not just to people who have the gift of evangelism, which some say they have, others deny that they have. It's for every man, woman, and child who know Jesus. Second question, who do we go to? We go to everyone. We go to everyone. The third question is, where should we go? Mark 16, 15 says, go into all the world. Some will go to other parts of the world. Some will go to strip clubs. Some will go, to, all of us will go into our world, wherever our world is. When we walk out the door in a few minutes, we're going to go into our world. When we go to work tomorrow, it's our world. At school, it's our world. Wherever your world is, that's where you're supposed to go. Because that's an area where God's given you some sort of influence there. We talked about frangelism. We said we should kind of think of it in that way, with F standing for friends, R for relatives, A for associates, N for neighbors, that there's people all around us, like the video showed, people around us every day that would be open to hearing Jesus. Then we ask, who, why should we go? And the reason is because you and I are the primary way that God has chosen to share the message with other people. He could do it any number of ways, but basically, he's called for you and I to go and do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, It pleased God through the foolishness of the, priest, of the message preached to save those who believe. And we talked last week about, you know, how the lecture is not the best way to communicate something. That's why you guys are so gracious and great listeners to listen to me for 30 minutes or so, but it's not the best way to communicate. You don't want to lecture people. You want to talk to people. You want to just have an interaction with them, a conversation. And the word preaching doesn't mean a lecture. It just means to proclaim or to share. And we do that because we care about lost people. And then the, the, the last question here, uh, when do we do it? All the time. 1 Peter chapter 3 says, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you to have a reason for the hope that is in you. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be, you know, to know all the right language. In fact, that might even hurt you sometime. You just have to be willing to share your experience. Even if you are to take the risk of not knowing a question or something that someone might pop that you didn't, didn't expect, just go and do it. Just try. Give it your best shot. That's what God is asking for. Now, today we're going to kind of move into another issue that's along the same line and very practical still about how do we share our faith? How do we do that? Because I think most of us, if we knew how, we probably would at least try, right? We know that we ought to do this. We know it's important. But how do we do that in a practical way? So that this week and next week are really going to be focused on the, the most practical side because this is where the rubber reached the road. It's one thing for us all to sit in this room and say, you know, we really ought to go and do that. But it's another thing to actually do it. And I think in many ways, it's, it's a lost art. You know, a lost art is something that people used to do well, and we know there, there's a lot of things that people aren't doing anymore. Jobs are being replaced, right? Things that people did all the time, they don't have to do anymore. This is one thing that they used to do all the time. The church has survived through the centuries because people like you and I shared our faith, but now, unfortunately, it's becoming more of a lost art, and we have to recapture that. We have to learn how to do that again. And so we're going to take some time, we're going to look at the master communicator. We're going to look at Jesus, an occasion where he shared the gospel with somebody. And, and I want to tell you, he could do it in a way that even a child could understand. 
And the reason why we need to look at that is because sometimes we make it too stinking complex and difficult for people. It's so difficult in our mind, I think Satan puts the thought, oh, this is such a big thing, you could never do this. It becomes so big that we're intimidated even to share it. And so we need to understand the gospel is simple even for a child to understand. We sometimes go into it thinking, oh my goodness, the pressure is on. And we slip into that voice, you know. We're going to talk to somebody and we're going to say to them, my friend, have you been redeemed? Have you been justified? Have you been sanctified? I'm not sure I know what all those words mean myself. I am not going to ask somebody those kind of questions. I am not going to go into it throwing all those words out, even though they're great words, right? All good words, but they're pretty intimidating to people who even want to know what they mean. Most people are not hungering to know what those words mean. They don't even know they exist, and the Bible uses them, but we need to share them and the truth of them in a way that isn't intimidating or threatening because our goal is to build a bridge, not burn one down. Our goal is to uh, uh, make a friend, not alienate the, the hearer, and not win a debate, but win a soul to Jesus. That's important. So whenever we share our faith, we need to do that with respect and gentleness. And that may be the lost art that our, our world is kind of missing when people share their faith, because sometimes Christians can be jerks. We really can And we can come across kind of arrogant that turns everybody off. I know it turns me off when I hear that. So we don't want to come on strong and offensive to people because you have something that they need and want even if they don't know it. People are looking and they're searching for something. We talked about that last year, uh, last week. Just the fact that people are searching for something. They're not sure what it is. But even our society reflects how what people are looking for for themselves. You know, I thought it was funny, I was reading the other day that a few years ago, the rage in photography used to be telescopic lenses. Remember that? When everybody wanted a lens this long on their camera, you know, so they could reach out there and see things. Or they wanted a big one so they get a big panoramic view. Remember the first panoramic views that you, that you had? Pretty awesome. You know what the rage is today? A selfie stick. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, that's what people want. Why? I want to take a picture of me. How many pictures do you see of, of yourself or people taking of themselves? That's the race. And the, the reality is that people are looking for something. and They're looking for what's in it for me, what's all about. Now, now, we can look at that and say, you know, the people are just selfish and ruined and horrible. Or we can capitalize on people's search because Jesus is what they're really looking for. And they're trying to find it everywhere else, but they're not finding it in themselves. Again, our goal is to build a bridge to the person. So let's see how Jesus did that in a very unusual situation. We're going to be looking at John chapter 4. Pretty familiar story to some of us where Jesus met a woman, and we don't know her name. We just call her the woman at the well. That sounds good enough. But she was, she was a woman, and she was a messed up woman. She really was. In that day, many women like her did not have any education. So she probably was about as far as she was going to go in life, whatever that was. We don't know her occupation Maybe just a housewife, we don't know. But she had no education, but she had a lot of years on her probably. I would say she may have been middle-aged or so, and she had a lot of miles on her. I say that because her life seemed to have been marked with a lot of bad decisions. A lot of bad decisions, mostly about men, to be honest with you. Because we find out that she's been married five times and divorced five times. And now she's living with the guy she wasn't married to, had forgotten about marriage. You know, that would be kind of unusual, not, not real common in our day, but it would be very unusual in that day. 
And it would be scandalous for a woman like this to, to exist in a, in a small community, which is where Jesus met her. That's probably why she came to the well alone in the middle of the day. You know, in that day, the, the people, the women would usually come and fetch the water, and they would do that early in the morning when it was cool, and it was kind of a social gathering place. They might bring their breakfast or coffee if they drank, probably didn't drink coffee that day, but we would take our coffee. You know, it'd be a place to go and gather, and, you know, they would gossip and visit and everything, draw the water, and then they'd go home for the day. They'd draw enough for the whole day. This woman didn't show up. She came in the middle of the day. And most people suggest the reason was that she probably was the object of much of their gossip. That people were talking about her. And she knew that and she didn't want to show up. So instead of coming in the morning when it was cool, she came in the middle of the day, which was unusual. And where she was probably alone most of the time. See, she was looking for something, looking for affirmation. She didn't know what it was or who it was. But she was about to find it because she was going to have a divine appointment with Jesus. Let's pick up the scripture there. Here's what it says. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. And so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jo Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon, and when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? So here we see Jesus, a really interesting example of him crossing over a lot of barriers to share hope and life with this woman, and he starts with a burden. He has a burden for this. And a couple of places it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Have you ever had a burden for something? Have you ever had a burden for somebody? These ladies have a burden that would take them into a strip club, a very uncomfortable setting for about all of us, but they got a burden to go do that. Have you ever had a burden, something that you just had to do, you just felt like you, it was weighing on you until you went and did it? Well, Jesus had a burden to go through Samaria. And you know, that, that was an unusual thing. He was going from Judea up to Galilee, and there were other ways to go and do that. But it said he needed to go through Samaria. Why? Because he needed to talk to this woman. This woman he had never met, that God had put a burden on his heart, that there was a woman, I'm sure he had no idea who she was until he got there, and there he would meet her, and he would unload the burden of responsibility. You know, that was very unusual in that day. Because again, Jews and Samaritans were natural enemies. Jews did not normally travel through this area of Samaria that divided their two countries, north and south. They didn't, walk, they didn't go through there unless they had to. There were easier ways to get there, shorter ways. But Jesus chose to go through this area where he would likely confront a natural enemy. In fact, there was hatred and prejudice both ways. Neither of them cared for the others. You know, I think it's interesting that sometimes God will bring the most unexpected people into your life, and then he'll expect you to share with them. People you never thought that you would ever talk to. I think about this several years ago in my first ministry. Um, it was in a small town. There was a neighboring small town, and there was a family that lived there that people were afraid of. I was afraid of them because everybody said they were just harsh people, especially the women. That sounds odd, right? But there were some women that they were just, I mean, foul-mouthed. 
and cuss you out for no reason at all. And I just like, I'm going to stay away from those women. And for some reason, God kind of brought me into a relationship, first of all, with a, with a brother in the family. And before it was over, I was able to go into their home, feel comfortable, share Jesus with them, baptized about 10 of them, uh, of that family that I was afraid of at first. I never thought I would have a relationship. God brings sometimes the most unusual people and unexpected people into our life. And then he says, now I want you to talk to them. And that, has, that requires a burden on our hearts. So Jesus had a burden for this woman. He didn't know her, but he knows her type. He knows her pain. He knows what she's dealing with, her loneliness, her lostness. They were so different, Jew, Samaritan, man, woman, just didn't happen. Jewish men didn't talk to strange women. It was not customary. It was not accepted. But Jesus overcame all of the natural hesitancies that he had and prejudice and the social norms to initiate a conversation. Guys, you know what? We have to be willing to drop our prejudice against certain people and our natural feelings of resistance to be open to reach out to people who are different from us. Maybe you're older and you know that you're supposed to share Jesus with a young person. That's hard for you to think about crossing that barrier. Or maybe you're younger and you've got a neighbor who's older and you've been you know, talking to them and it's still strange, but you're going to try to tell them something they don't know. Or maybe there's somebody who's so different from you, you know, uh, financially, economically, or socially, or racially, or whatever it may be. It's a different background. You need to overcome the natural barriers that the world creates and have a burden for people who don't know Jesus because we're all basically the same. We're all the same. Why? Why do we do that? The Bible says the love of Christ compels us. It is the love of Christ that compels us to get out of our comfort zone to get out of our safe little spot that we're in, all about us, and reach out to help other people. So here we see Jesus initiating the conversation. He has a burden, which is where it begins, and we ought to pray and ask God for the burden to share our faith. Secondly, Jesus' style evangelism uses tact. Jesus was respectful to this woman, even though in society he could have spoken to her harshly and it would have been accepted or normal if he'd spoken at all, but he was respectful. He didn't scream at her, you need to repent, woman. He didn't say, you, you know you're going to hell, don't you? Amen. That would have been a poor way to start a conversation. While both of those things were true, Jesus knew it. It wasn't how he started it. Jesus' style of evangelism is engaging. When you initiate a conversation about Jesus, use diplomacy and grace and kindness and sensitivity. Create a dialogue, which is the opposite of a monologue, which is how most of us tend to talk to people. Create a conversation, listen as much as you talk. Someone said that tact was making a point without making an enemy. Making your point without making an enemy. You're not trying to create enemies, you're trying to build a bridge there. You can state the truth in a loving, respectful way and take your cue from their response. And here was, here's what Jesus did. I was thinking how wise this was. Jesus asked the woman for something. Wasn't that smart? I mean, it really was because immediately he put her in the stronger position. She had something small that he wanted, and he had something great that she needed. And so when he asked her for water, it affirmed her. I believe this woman was desperately looking for affirmation and for acceptance among anyone, even from someone that she never thought would speak to her. She was longing for acceptance from somebody. And you know what? He asked her to do something she was good at. She was good at drawing water. 
She not, wasn't, a very good, wasn't very good in relationships, but she was really good at drawing water. She had her own rope, I'm sure, and her own jar. You ever tried to draw water like that with a, with a container and a rope? Some of you have tried, I mean, tried to do that. That's, that's not easy to do. You've got to know how to dip that bucket, how to get it started, how to, you know, how to get it in the water, and pull it up. Not everybody could do it. Probably in that day, most men didn't know how because the women did it, right? So Jesus said, you know, I'd love to have a drink of water. If you could do that, help me out, that would be great. And so this woman immediately is affirmed. He broke down her defenses, and she responded because she felt respected. When we talk to people about Jesus, we should never do it as a know-it-all. Why? Because we don't know it all. We don't know it all. In fact, it's interesting. That's one of the reasons why many people don't talk about their faith is because they think, I don't know enough. So isn't it kind of odd that we would feel, I don't know enough, and then, and then we might even come across as acting like we know too much, we know more than they do. You and I are not better than anyone. In fact, we may be worse than, than them at our core. There are a lot of really good people out there who do not know Jesus. We know that goodness doesn't save us, but, but you know what? Our, our faith should reflect in our works. We may be better off because of Jesus, but we're not better than them. What I love the best definition is that evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. So I'm hungry. I found something. You need to go there. You need to find that thing for yourself. And then as Jesus talks to her, he says casually, hey, you know what? If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you'd have asked him and he would have given you living water. I can just picture Jesus, you know, sitting there kind of sipping the water she had drawn, you know, cooling off a little bit. And thinking about, how am I going to transition this conversation uh, to a spiritual level? And, that, and so he does, he does so. This is his way of asking here, did you know that there's a God in heaven who loves you and wants a relationship with you? I don't know about you, but to me, the hardest thing is transitioning a conversation from a mundane topic to an important spiritual level. That's the hardest thing that I ever find to do. But let me just suggest this. You know, maybe you're talking about the weather, which we all talk about, right? Isn't it easy to just transition that to, to say, you know what? I think God loves to be creative and give us a beautiful day or, you know, we know one's coming, whatever it might be if it's not a beautiful day. And then you can just take that to another level. Let's say you're talking about the wildcats. Go big blue, all right? Say you're talking about the wildcats, you know, and you're like, man, you know, that is such a big deal to me. But you know what? There's something a little more important to me than that. And that's what I believe about Jesus. You know, you can do that. You can transition that in some way that's not awkward and uncomfortable. Because you know what? People are looking to get past the surface level. The surface level. Everybody is searching for something. And one characteristic of people today is that they are spiritual but not necessarily Christian. A lot of spiritual people, but they're not not getting the right spirit, or they're not worshiping God, and they're searching, and we can help them find what they're searching for. Notice in this conversation that Jesus is, uh, that the woman tries to get Jesus off the subject, which is really common. In verse 19, she says, our ancestors worshiped in this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. You know what I've noticed about people? Every time you talk to them about Jesus, they want to talk about the church, which I guess is normal but it can be a divisive thing, can't it? 
They can tell you all the bad experiences they had about church and what they think about church people or, you know, where they went to church. And it can be a dividing thing. And the woman, I think, is trying to start, you know, him on a rabbit chase here by talking about where you worshiped. And Jesus didn't take that. It was a common argument back then. The Jews thought you ought to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. And the Samaritans, they had a mountain that they worshiped on different places. But you know what? But Jesus refused to be pulled off the subject. I want to tell you, there are a lot of people in churches who don't know Jesus. And there are a lot of people out there in the world who would be attracted to Jesus if the church is what it ought to be. And so let's not get you know, distracted by about church and where you worship and all that sort of thing. It's really all about Jesus. Sometimes people want to divert us or argue about things. You know, I've heard people say, I don't believe in the Bible because of all the contradictions in the Bible. And, and if somebody says that, what you should say is, well, what, what is one of those contradictions in the Bible? And I'm going to tell you, because we live in a biblically illiterate world, more than likely they have no idea of any supposed contradiction in the Bible. Most people don't know the Bible that well at all to come up with a contradiction of what they might think is, is wrong. And so do not be distracted by those sort, those sort of things or discouraged. Don't argue with people. You can counter their points. You can defend your faith. But remember that nobody was ever argued into the kingdom of God. You're not going to win them by arguing with them. Don't do that. Just love on people. And, and we can win an argument and lose the soul, and that's not what our goal is. The Bible says this, it says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. What does it take? It gives us some advice there. First of all, that we ought to live wisely among people in our community, have a, a good reputation, but also make the most of every opportunity. Don't miss them, but then make sure your conversation is gracious and humble and attractive so that you can respond in the right way. Be friendly, engaging, and caring, just like you'd like for someone to treat you. Don't we all want to be treated well? And if people don't want to talk about Jesus, respect that and move on to something else. Now, next week, we're going to take the, the, the next step level here and talk about how to actually lead someone to Christ and close the deal, which, to be honest with you, is the hardest thing for most of us. So please come back uh, next week, and, and we'll talk about how to actually do that. But above everything, I want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you because, you know, you know, God may have given you a window of time and a person in your life that only you can share the gospel with. And that can change, and it does change. How does it change? Well, sometimes it can be kind of drastic, you know, because you may die. In fact, all of us are going to die, and you don't have to be old to die. I'll tell you that. You may die, you may die before you get a chance to share Jesus with that person. The other side is that person could possibly die. Have you ever known anyone that died unexpectedly? Happens all the time, doesn't it? Or maybe not quite as drastic, your situation could change. It could change because you might not be working with them anymore. Or you, they may move away, or you may move away, or something may happen. And God said, this, is, this was your mission, this person, and you blew it because the opportunity that you have is now gone, and it's just not the same anymore. I want to encourage you to know and be open and willing to talk to anyone and everyone. If someone you've known forever, someone you just met, doesn't matter, just be available. And we talked about last week how when we're available, the Spirit will nudge us, and we'll, we'll sense that, and we're like, okay, that, then it becomes a burden. Be responsive. 
And guys, this is important. Realize that you hold life and death in your hands, in your heart. You hold life and death, not, not physical life. You hold eternal life or eternal death in your hands. And also, this is important because I didn't understand this early on. Remember, it is not you. Really, is it? if you are successful, awesome, you are used by God. If you fail, that's okay. It's not you that convinces, you're the messenger. You deliver the news, you just be honest, the Spirit is going to convict, and if that person's willing, then it's going, to, it's going to happen in their life. You're just being obedient and sharing your faith. Now, let me wrap up this morning by saying this. If you're here and you have never made a decision to follow Jesus, to make Him the Savior and Lord of your life, I would love for you to come and talk to me after the service. I would love to do that. It's the most important thing. It's more important than anybody wanting to talk about anything else to me. That's the most important thing in this whole day because you and your soul are our greatest concern. I hope you would see, if you are not yet a Christian, that we would take four weeks of our year that, that is important. This is the only time I get a chance to talk to you guys, but to talk four weeks to say this is the most important thing in somebody else's life. That's significant. We don't use our time lightly here. But understand that we care that much about you, and we want you to know Jesus because we've found somewhere to eat bread. And we wanted you to have the same bread for your life. We want to help you. And, and let me also say, if you have accepted Christ, maybe lately or, or some point in your life, the next thing you need to do is to be baptized. Jesus commanded that we be baptized, and he modeled it with his own baptism. All the Christians in the Bible that we read about were baptized immediately after they accepted Christ. Baptism is a symbol of our death, burial, and resurrection in the water. We're buried with Christ. We're raised with Christ to live a new life in Jesus Christ. Our sins are symbolically washed away. We identify with him. And, and that's an important thing. Jesus modeled that for us and commanded it. And it's a personal decision everyone needs to make on their own, even if maybe you were sprinkled as a child. It's your decision. God calls you to decide that, you to experience that personally. And next week, we've kind of identified this as a, a special emphasis on baptism. And so we want to invite you, if you have not been baptized, we would love for you to come forward next week. You can talk to me. I'd love to have a conversation about it. Or you can just show up. If you know this is what you want to do and you're ready to do it, just show up and we will be ready for the baptism. So please keep that in mind. And, and also pray for people who need to make decisions, who need to be obedient to God in that way, that they'll have the courage to do that as well. Guys, we're going to transition right now to a time of communion because um, communion is the second command besides baptism that, that Jesus said we need to do. And we do this weekly in our church because we believe it's important to gather around the, the, the table and to share with one another on a regular basis and to commune with God. And, uh, and as we share in just a few moments, if you're a believer, we invite you to share with us in that. We'll take a piece of bread and a cup of juice to remind us of the broken body of Jesus and the spilled blood of Christ. Uh, for our sins, and we invite you to share with us in that. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. God, we are humbled that you would, um, first of all, choose to save us. Secondly, we're humbled that you would choose to use us uh, for your purpose and your message. And God, we are, uh, we're humbled now to be reminded of your immense love and sacrifice for us as we share in this communion time. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.